Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to today's episode of Everyday Truth. I was just thinking that uh, I have not read a postcard in a few days, which means some of you need to go out and buy a postcard and send me one and let me know where you're listening from. I know a ton of you I've met. I met a bunch of you last week and even the week before at different conferences, and you've told me, yeah, I'm going to send you a postcard but send me one. I'd love to hear where you're listening from, and it gives me something to read, and I think it's interesting to know. But uh, I'll just sit here and complain about it until you do. Uh, but until then, let's let's just jump back into our Bible. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 15, talking about the, the love of the Lord. And I think I told you last episode that we would reference a the Lord just kind of uses some poetic language in the following verses, really, really touching. And it's interesting, when the Lord in His Word wants to explain something that's very touching or meaningful, He'll often use an illustration that grips at the heartstrings. And that's what's happening here. So look at verse number 15, where the Bible says, "'Thus saith the Lord,' A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, 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 weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again for the land of the enemy." Now, why? Why would the Lord here use Rachel and her situation, her weeping, as an example of what's happening among his people? How is God illustratively using the story of Rachel in this passage? Well, I think, first of all, we have to understand the the story of Rachel. So who is Rachel? Rachel was that favored wife of Jacob. Remember, Jacob just was struck by her and was more than willing to work seven years for uh, for her hand in marriage. And Laban tricked him, remember? And he married Leah, and then, but he favored Rachel. An interesting story. We won't take time to talk through the whole dynamic of it. But Rachel ended up having two sons. The older son was named Joseph. We know his story very well. And then the youngest son, or the younger son, but the youngest son of Jacob, his name was Benjamin. And it was in the birth of Benjamin, so Joseph is just a young boy, but it was in the birth of Benjamin that Rachel died in childbirth. That happened near and around the place of Bethlehem. So Bethlehem, initially in the Bible, was known as a place of sorrow. Why? Because that's where Rachel lost her life in the birth of Benjamin, weeping, weeping for her children, weeping, never really having a home, coming back to a place of promise, but never really having that 
that opportunity to watch her kids grow up or see the fruition of her labor in their lives. A sad, sad story is the story of Rachel. But the Lord uses the story here in Jeremiah chapter 31 metaphorically. He extends the metaphor to say, Rachel, it's like Rachel is weeping for her children who are scattered. So who were the children of Rachel? Well, Joseph was scattered. He was the one that initially was taken to Egypt. And it was Joseph who had the twins, Ephraim and Manasseh. And Ephraim became known as the name of the Northern Kingdom. And of course, we know the Northern Kingdom, all 10 tribes were scattered everywhere. So the, the, the illustration continues to mushroom out and mushroom out and mushroom out. So the point here in Jeremiah 31 is that Rachel's lamentation, the weeping, is for the punishment, the scattering, the chastisement, the dispersion of God's people. And the, the point that the Lord is making is that, that all the bad that's happening to God's children has come to an end. All the dispersion, the scattering, the chastisement, the, the punishment, the all of it is coming to an end. So the weeping of Rachel will end. What's very interesting is this verse, Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 15, is actually quoted in, by Matthew in Matthew's gospel. And he quotes the verse in relation to the edict given by Herod to kill all the children in Bethlehem. Herod was hoping to, by killing all the children two years of age and younger, he's hoping to eliminate Jesus. Remember that story. And this is the quotation that Matthew chooses, that it's Rachel weeping for her children, for these bad things that are happening. And of course, is it not interesting that it's that same event that gave rise to Jesus going into Egypt and coming back out, just like Rachel's children went into Egypt and came back out. So the, the symbolism just cannot be missed here, that God has allowed in the course of history and in the life of his people, these times of scattering and chastisement and bringing back and all of it. That's why it says in verse number 16, thus saith the Lord, refrain thy voice from weeping. You know, there was a time for weeping and now there's a time for rejoicing, just as the writer of Ecclesiastes said. And so there is hope, uh, verse number 16, rather, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, saith the Lord, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. Now that, the, that weeping shall endure for, for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And the morning is represented by the millennial rest of the rule of Jesus. And so isn't it interesting that God goes all the way back to the time of the patriarchs. He goes all the way back to when the family of God was very, very small, just 70 some odd people in the family of God, the nation of God, when they were just in their seminal time form as a, as a nation. And God said there was weeping and distress back then. And that's been their story for all these many years, but that weeping shall end. Look at verse number 16, uh, verse number 17, and there's hope in thine end. 
Isn't that wonderful? There's hope in thine end, saith the Lord, that thy children shall come again to their own border. I love God's stories always end in hope. When God is involved, they always live happily ever after. As long as we're on his team and on his side, no, just stick with the Lord, stick with his word, stick with his covenant, and you will see a an expected end. Is that not the theme that we've been talking about ever since chapter 29? That God's thoughts toward us, they're good, they're not evil. He wants to bring us to an expected end. He has a plan. And while there is chastisement and punishment and these hard times of scattering, God has a purpose in all of it for his children, making us more like his son, Jesus, ultimately fulfilling that purpose in our lives. Verse number 18, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. So now the Lord talks about, I heard Rachel. She was the mother of Joseph and that young boy that had to be there when his mother died, that Benjamin who was born the very day that his mother died. I was there. I heard her weeping. But now he talks about Ephraim. Who's Ephraim? Ephraim is Rachel's grandson, right? So Rachel's son was Joseph and Joseph's son was Ephraim, blessed by Rachel's husband, Jacob, in Egypt. And so Ephraim, but Ephraim is more than just Rachel's grandson, Ephraim is a representative son of the whole nation, especially the Northern Kingdom. So watch what it says in verse number 18. I, this is God still speaking. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself, bemoaning himself. Hmm. That sounds almost as if Ephraim is sorry. That sounds as if Ephraim realizes I was wrong, that Ephraim is repenting. And that's exactly what this means. So there's coming a day when Israel will see it, when Israel will will repent of it, when she'll be sorry, not just for the scattering, not just for the punishment, because we're always sorry when bad things happen to us. That's a selfish sorrow. But we'll be sorry for the sins that have caused it. So it says in verse 18, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. So in other words, in this way, here's what, Here's what he will say. Verse 18, here's Ephraim speaking. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastened. I was chastised. As a bullock, as a bull unaccustomed to the yoke. So, boy, you had to deal with me harshly. You had to turn me in ways I didn't want to go. You had to put a yoke upon me that I didn't want to receive, like a bull, like a bullock that's untamed. Watch this, turn thou me and I shall be turned. But God, do your work in my life. Do whatever is necessary to bring me into a place of repentance. Turn thou me and I shall be turned for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented. God, when you did this unpalatable work of chastisement, of scattering, of punishment, things I didn't like, things that didn't feel good, things that were hard to bear. Lord, it was those things that helped me to turn back to you, to repent. And after that, I was instructed. You know, you know why? Because your pain and the, the chastisement of God is in itself an instruction. Uh, the, the reproof, reproof is instruction. It's the way of life, the Bible says. 
And it says here that uh, I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. That would be an, an external sign of, 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 of self-loathing, of, of sorrow, of repentance, to strike oneself. And then it says, I was ashamed. That's also a result of true repentance. I was ashamed. Now watch this. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. You know what happens when you come to a place of true repentance? You look back at what you did in pride, in arrogance, sometimes in ignorance, and you're ashamed. I'm ashamed that I ever lived that way. I'm ashamed that I thought like that. I'm ashamed that I said no to God. I'm ashamed that I lived for myself. I'm ashamed that I was so selfish. I'm ashamed. That, that's what happens. Repentance brings a rationality to our thinking. Because people that are living in sin, they can't see themselves. That's why it's so frustrating when you see a loved one that's just shackled by carnality or shackled by sin. And why can't they see it? Because their carnality is a blinding element. But when repentance comes, when the grace comes, where God does his work of chastisement, and we look back upon our younger selves, then we see ourselves the way God always saw us. And it's a shameful look, but it's a good kind of shame because it's the kind of shame that says, Lord, I'm sorry that I ever lived that way. And I'm sorry and that I didn't see it earlier. And God, thank you for allowing me for to come back. And Lord, even thank you for the punishment and the yoke and what's caused me to turn back to you. It's all been good, God, if it's brought me back to you. Verse number 19. Well, we're going to stop there because I just glanced up and we're out of time. But I want you to see God's response. So we, we saw Ephraim's repentance. What a great template for repentance versus 16 through 19 are. But let's find how does God respond to a humble heart? That's a great, great question. We'll answer it next episode. Hope you'll be with us. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.